Um, we, at, at our church today, um, combining with another church just north of us, uh, have an, an all-day young adults. And so they're gathered in Vero Beach, Florida, um, uh, from Calvary Melbourne and Calvary Hero, about many young adults doing exactly the same thing that we're doing here. So I think God's doing a work in the lives of your age group and uh, kind of, kind of uh, ministering to you to release you in the world. I'm so excited to see what God wants to do. Um, I will speak for myself, but I'm, I'm happy to pass the baton on to you guys. I don't need a whole lot of this thing. I'm ready to, ready to let go. My legs don't move like they used to. So uh, take it, charge for the Lord. Um, here's what we're going to do. Rather than me take a lot of time to introduce myself to you as we get going, I'll just introduce myself to you along the way so we can get to know each other and we'll spend our time tonight looking at God's Word together, okay? So let's do this. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And then also, I'm going to ask um, I'm gonna ask for some class participation in the, in the Bible study and to make it easier for all of us. I'm going to ask for a handful of people to have a verse kind of ready, Mark, so that when I say, hey, we're at that point in the Bible study, you can read it loud and clearly to the rest of us. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm looking for a volunteer to read to me some point in the Bible study, Psalm 27.4. Who's going to take care of that one? Psalm 27, verse 4, okay? And then how about Ezekiel 11.16? Somebody brave enough to go there? Okay, Ezekiel 11, 16. How about 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9? Right here, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. And John 10, 28 and 29. Right there. All right. Yeah, good. John 10, 28 and 29. And then lastly, if we get there, so... You might be ready, you might be like that relief pitcher, you can't wait to get in the game, and you don't get called on, but if time permits, how about Hebrews 12.22? Hebrews 12.22? Nobody gets it? All right, thanks. Willie, right? Yes, sir. Dude, you are a baller. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Here's what we're going to try to do. 
we're going to try to look first at the situation in the psalm. Number two, we're going to look at the solution to the situation. And then lastly, we're going to look at the results of the solution to the situation. And then we're done. It's cocoa time. Okay? <laughs> so that's kind, of, that's kind of the goal. That's where we're headed. So I want you to take a look um, at, at the psalm and, and notice, is there a title to the psalm? You see a title there in your Bible? Some of you go, yeah. What does it say? Somebody said something. Hey, that's the same thing mine says, okay? I want you to know that that is something that was placed there by the editor of your Bible. I have a, I have a Cambridge New King James Bible, and the, the Cambridge editors, they put that title. Okay, it's in italics in your Bible. It, it's not the title that's given to the psalm. There are a lot of psalms where there's a, a title that is part of the psalm itself, okay? So we go all the way back to the time when it was written, and often there'll be a an author's name that's given. So it's David, or it's the sons of Korah, or it's Asaph, or Solomon, or Moses. And then sometimes there'll be a situation that's given. The 51st Psalm is the psalm that was written when David got busted by Nathan the prophet after he'd sinned with Bathsheba. And so there's a title, it's part of the psalm itself, and it gives us a backstory. And so what we're able to do is we're able to take that psalm we're able to go into the, the, the narrative of where that psalm was written, and we're able to uncover some things about what the psalmist was experiencing that caused him to write the words. Now, I want you to know here, there's no title given for this psalm. The title, like I said, it's given by the editor. It's not given by the psalmist. So in one sense, we look at the psalm and we say, you know what? We really don't know the situation. We can't really know the situation. I want to suggest to you what we can't say, hey, this psalm was written by this person, and it was written during this season of their life. There are some hints in the psalm that might give us a little bit of insight into what the author was experiencing. Let me try to illustrate. If you are driving home back to Miami, and you see a car on the, on the road, and it has surf racks, with surfboards on the rack, and a couple of guys with wild blonde hair in the in the front seat that look like they don't quite think straight. Um, where do you think these guys are probably going? Are they going skiing? Are these guys going deer hunting? Okay, are these guys going to the movie? Like, where are they probably going? Surfing. To the beach, and what are they probably going to do? Surf, right? It's like, well, I can I can just observe kind of what what they're what they look like and what they have with them, and I can kind of assume that maybe they might be heading to the beach and they might have the intention of place So let's look at the psalm and let's see if we can maybe discover some of the things that the psalmist might be experiencing. Look at a couple of the words he uses. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, he, he says, The Lord is my refuge and my what? Fortress. Okay, let's jump over to verse 4. And in four, verse 4, he says uh, at the end of it, he says, his truth shall be your what? Shield. And your what else? Buckler. And then take a look at verse 5. He says, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the what? Arrow that flies by day. And then take a look at verse 7. He says, a thousand may what? Fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. So what scene do you think he might be describing? If he's talking about arrows and shields and bucklers and fortresses. What, what scene do you think he's, point, he's painting? War. It's a war scene, right? It's a battle scene. So, so whether this is a physical battle that the psalmist is actually experiencing, he's in the middle of, or he's referring to the spiritual battle that we undergo in our attempts to follow the Lord, certainly battle is one of the situations that he's facing, Right? There's some sort of real serious dilemma going on. Let's take a look. Again, look at verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Surely he will deliver you from the what? Snare. The snare of what? The fowler. The fowler. How many of you have used the phrase snare of the fowler in a sentence this week? Okay. No? We haven't? Like, okay. What is, what is fowl? 
What is foul? Birds. Birds, right? And so what do you think a fowler is? A bird hunter. Right? And so bird, you, you hunt birds. Now, today we kind of cheat. Okay. Anybody here duck hunt? Okay. <laughs> how, do you, how do you duck hunt? Do you like aim super careful, like line up with that, oh, there's the duck, you aim super careful? No. You have a gun that shoots a super broad spray that is like, oh, I can't just put it anywhere in the nearby region, and the poor thing goes down, right? <laughs> but, you know, but in ancient days, without cheating, um, the way to hunt for fowl, like you can't catch them, can you? Anybody have, a, anybody have a dog that they take to the beach that tries to chase birds? Yeah. Has he ever caught one? My, I had a dog for 18 years, okay? For 18 years, every time we went to the beach, he would chase the birds. You know how many he caught in 18 years? Zero. You know how many he got close to? Zero, okay? <laughs> there was no chance. If you were a bird, there was never a threat when our dog showed up. He'd be like, oh, look, he's here again. Okay? There was absolutely zero chance he was ever gonna catch a bird because you can't run down a bird, right? So the, the way to catch the bird was through trickery. And they would set traps for the bird. So this guy, again, the Psalms use like a poetic literature in order to illustrate, not necessarily explain things, but illustrate things. So he's illustrating feeling hunted. <laughs> like I'm feeling as though I'm being hunted after, I'm being chased down. The New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament concept of being hunted down is the term persecution. In fact, the word Persecute is a word that needs to be chased. Okay? So he's like, I'm, I'm under persecution. Let's keep looking, see if we can uncover anything else. Look again at, uh, at verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take what? Shelter or refuge. And then take a look at verse 6. He says, nor of the what? Pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the what? Destruction that lays waste. So the word refuge, refuge is like, in one sense, it's a really comforting word, but in another sense, it's a super uncomfortable word. Okay? Refuge is, it's wonderfully comfortable to know that there's a refuge. It's horribly uncomfortable to know that you need it. Right? Like I have a, there's some friends um, who a number of years ago, they, they built a new house. And so they built the house, it's a, it was, I think, 13 years or so ago, and they built it to withstand the category four or five hurricanes that come to Florida. So they've got this a concrete block structure, they've got the roof straps to hold the roof in a place, they've got the storm impact windows in the house, and then they built in the center of their house, they built a room it is it's on the concrete floor with concrete walls and it has a poured concrete slab roof and a solid exterior door right in the center of their house. It's a safe room. Because we all know that hurricanes can sometimes create an atmosphere where tornadoes rise up, right? And tornadoes do tremendous damage. So they have a room in their house where if a tornado hits that area, they go in and they're safe. Well, that's both very comforting and very discomforting at the same moment. <laughs> I live somewhere where I need to go hide in a concrete box? That's creepy. Right? That's horrible. So when he uses the word refuge, he's talking about, listen, I'm going through storms, or I'm going through difficulties that are so great, I need to go find a concrete bunker to hide in. And he talks about pestilence and destruction. Essentially, he's describing things that are completely outside of his control. Like, I'm, I'm going through life, I'm facing things where I need to find a refuge, and there are things I have zero control over. Let's keep going. We're not done. Thank you, Psalmist. Look at what he says there in verse 5. He says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by what? Nor the arrow that flies by what? Nor the pestilence that walks in the what? Nor the destruction that lies waste when? All the time. Day and night, night and day, continuous. And because he's describing a whole array of different difficulties, 
It's like, not only are they continuous, but they're continually changing. Just when I get my head around one difficulty, I'm facing another one. Just when I get my, like, okay, I've kind of got my bearing on how to move forward in this challenge, I get struck by another one. That's what the psalmist is facing. So, while we don't know who the psalmist is, we can't say, hey, this is David, and he's in a cave, and he's hiding from Saul, and the troops of Israel are trying to hunt him down. We can know that whoever this is, is pretty aware of the challenges that he's facing. So, if you are facing uncertainty, you're facing challenges, you're facing persecution, you feel like you're in the midst of spiritual battle, the truths of this psalm should be magnetic to you, right? You should be going, I sure hope he's got an answer. I'm sure this isn't just a blues song that's telling me how much of a bummer life is. I sure hope that there's something in this psalm that might give me some some instruction on how to move forward through the challenges that I'm facing. So that's the situation. Let's see if there's a solution. The solution is actually found in the opening verse. In the opening verse, the psalmist says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there is a secret place that we can go we can abide, we can rest underneath the shadow of God. And there is a secret place. And the solution to the challenges that we face is that there is a place that we can run in where we, we are going to find ourselves in the very presence of God. The secret place. Now, um, what I want to do, or what I want to attempt to do, you can let me know afterwards if we actually did it. But what I want to attempt to do is I want to attempt first to define the secret place. And then secondly, I want to talk a little bit about how we dwell there. Okay? So what is this thing he calls the secret place? And then secondly, how is it that we dwell in the secret place? Now, the secret place, I think, is he's describing a place of care and protection where we're sitting under what he calls the shadow of God. Now, um, to sit under a shadow, you kind of get have to get close to the object that is cast in the shadow, correct? Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of, of myself finding protection and care in the presence of God. That's what he's describing. Um, this secret place, I think, is the same place that David refers to in Psalm 27.4. So who has Psalm 27.4 for us? Um, in the early 90s, 
the country of Liberia <coughs> experienced severe civil war, civil conflict. And because it's tribal, the dominant tribe kind of turned their attention on the other tribes, and as a result, hundreds and thousands of, of the Liberian people were forced to flee Liberia or lose their lives. And so in Ghana, which is, is a sister country, it's, it's separated by one other country, Cote d'Ivoire sits between Liberia and Ghana. So Ghana became a hiding place for many of these Liberians that were fleeing. And so we went to visit into this uh, refugee camp. Now Ghana is a third world country. Living conditions are, are pretty difficult to begin with. And in this refugee camp, there were in the neighborhood of, I couldn't get an exact count, somewhere between 60 and 90,000 Liberians living in this camp. And the conditions were, were much worse than the conditions of the third world country that the Canadians were living in. Very difficult living. So when you read the book of Ezekiel, it's like, this isn't written to people on the beach on vacation. This is written to people who have lost their homeland. As a result, they've lost all the, the promise that life had in front of them. Any, any comfort or security that they had in family lands or properties had all been lost. These people have lost everything. They're living as refugees in, uh, by the river Chabar underneath Babylonian control. And in the midst of that, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16, sounds like this. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them afar off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. God says, listen, I will be to you a little sanctuary. This is a tremendous promise. The sanctuary, remember, that was the holy place where God and man would meet together. And they watched as that building was burned to the ground by the Babylonians. You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go to the temple. So what's God say? He says, I will be to you a little sanctuary. You're living in a refugee camp. You've lost everything. You're going through all this severe difficulty. And God says, listen, I will be the one that you can meet with. That's the secret place of the most high. In the New Testament, Paul, Paul talks about a period of time that he went through a very difficult experience in his life. He, he, when he talks about it, he uses words that illustrate the difficulty. They don't explain the difficulty. And there's a big, big difference. Explaining the difficulty, Paul would say, listen, I have this friend, and this friend stabbed me in the back, and when he stabbed me in the back, all my other friends turned on me, and I lost everything. That would be an explanation of what's going on. Paul does not explain Paul illustrates. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Go ahead. Unless um, I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to Bobbing, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord many times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in me. Therefore, most glad they are, rather go to my infirmities, that the power of Christ be upon me. He says, listen, Paul says, I was going through this thing, and it was it was like there was a thorn in my flesh. Okay? Years ago, um, I had, uh, we had a, an air conditioner leak in our living room, and it got, it came out, and it, it uh, affected the wood floor, and so the wood floor began to separate from itself. And being the, the uh, caring father and the concerned homeowner that I am, I didn't do anything about it. <laughs> and, uh, until my son, my oldest son, was walking across the room barefoot, and he, he drug his foot right there, and a portion of that went in, like underneath, uh, like that epidermal layer of skin, but right along that on the bottom of his foot. It was this long, okay, and it was in his foot like this far. It, but it went right, like, it was, praise the Lord, right along that epidural layer, like right, instead of going up into it. And he's like, ah, and, he, and he's got this, it's like a branch. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I try to pull it out, but it's like bark. 
kind of poor, they won't come out, and you screw. He and again, he's not four, he's like 17. And uh, so literally this is, I, I was like really happy. I went out to the garage and I got a razor knife. And I actually, right on the edge of the wood, so like roast everybody else. So, so I went right on the edge of the wood with the razor knife and slit the bottom of his foot like this long and peeled it back and pulled this, this splinter out. So, so listen, I'm telling you that because, because I want you to know what a great father I am. Oh. <laughs> so maybe like when you have children and you're looking for somebody, hey, we're coming to be with you, we're going to watch our kids. Um, so I'm telling you that because Paul says, I have a thorn in my flesh. He's not talking about it. Oh, I got a splinter. Okay. Paul's talking about like, I've got a stake in my body. That's what it feels like. No, he's not talking literally. He's not giving an explanation. Paul's not saying, you know, my dad, he's going to the floor, and I have this huge splinter in my foot. Paul's saying, what's going on in my life is as if a stake were driven into my body. And then he says this, as if the, the imagery wasn't clear enough, he says, it's as though a messenger of Satan, okay, that's a word messenger's angel, but, so the idea is a fallen angel, a demonic creature, has been sent to buffet me. Buffet me. What does the word buffet mean? What, what would be a synonym with the word buffet? What does it mean? A strike. What? To strike. Satan is punching me in the face. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Now, is that literally happening? Is Paul sitting in the corner with a spike in his foot and Satan's punching him? No, that's not what's happening. He's saying, that's what it feels like. I am just going through such a difficult season in my life right now. But then he says this. He says, but it caused me to cry out to the Lord. And God spoke to me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for me. Here's what the secret place is, guys. The secret place is that place where we go with whatever's going on in our life. Whatever's happening in our life. If it's difficult, if it's challenging, if it's confusing, if it's wonderful. And we go there and we just pour that out with the Lord. That's the secret place. We just go and go, here, God, here's what's going on in my life. And we pour that out before the Lord. But listen, it's not just a place where we pour out before the Lord. It's a place where God then pours in from his all-sufficient grace. It's a place that we know that I can go. I'm facing these challenges. I'm facing this difficulty. I'm facing this confusion. And I can go here before the Lord. And I can lay this before the Lord. And I can know that God is going to pour from his grace back into my life. Now, grace is, grace is one of those, those Bible words that is pregnant with meaning, okay? It's a, it's a Bible word that's so filled with meaning. And one way to look at grace, we often look at it from, the, from our perspective. So grace is getting what I didn't deserve, right? That's, is, that a, is that a fair definition yeah. of grace? Like, I, I don't deserve this, but God gave it to me. That's grace from my perspective. Grace, from heaven's perspective, it's the, it's the nature of God. It's the giving nature of God. It's the fact that God desires to pour into his children. And so, so if, if I'm confused, grace from God is to give me wisdom, or to give me direction, or to give me clarity. And so I can say, wow, God, God gave me clarity. Show me what to do. That is, we can say that's a grace. God graced me. He gave to me what I needed. I was fearful and so filled with anxiety. And then I got alone with God and he gave me peace. We can say, well, there's the grace. God's grace flowed into my life what I needed. The secret place is the place where I go with whatever's going on in my life and I pour it out before the Lord and I know God is going to meet me there. God's going to meet me in that place. So, the secret place. The second thing I want to do after defining the secret place, is I want to talk about how do we dwell there. Because that's what he says, right? Verse 1. He who does what? Where? In the secret place. Will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So the second question is, how do I dwell in the secret place? What's, what do you think is a, a word maybe synonymous with the word dwell? What is it? Abide. Okay, abide. In fact, abide, the, the word dwell can mean to stay, 
or to remain. The New Testament equivalent is the word abide. And the word abide, that's a translation of a, a Greek word, the word hikare, is the word mino. Um, and it speaks of a, of a very, very important New Testament doctrine. The New Testament doctrine of abiding. Okay? And, and so this passage here is an Old Testament illustration of a New Testament doctrine, and the New Testament doctrine is the doctrine of abiding. To abide, it means to remain, or to stay, or to live in, or to, to wait, or to await. And it, it has basically two aspects to it. Number one, the New Testament doctrine of abiding has the aspect of union. Union. Here's what that means. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment that that happens, your sins are forgiven, you're restored into relationship with God, your eternity is settled, you become a child of God, and the Bible tells us that you're placed in Christ. Okay? The moment you got saved. Like you didn't have to understand anything about what it means to follow Jesus. You don't have to answer any questions about the nature and the character of God, about the work of the Spirit and the life of the believer, how many books there are in the Bible. You don't have to know anything. All you knew was somebody told me Jesus is the Savior and you put your faith in Him. And the moment that happened, Sins forgiven, eternity settled, become a child of God, and you are in Christ. Now, um, there are many New Testament passages that talk about the benefits of being in Christ. I'm going to throw three of you really quickly. Romans 8, verse 1 says this It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Okay, no condemnation. Condemnation is a legal word, okay? I'm going to be very careful. I know I'm a lawyer in the room, so be super careful when I talk about the law here. But condemnation is a legal term. And the idea is that we are guilty of violating the standard of God. And as a result, we are underneath the judgment of God. When we put our faith in, well, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus bore on himself the penalty for human sin. All of mankind. When Jesus said, in fact, we talked about it today, um, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the sins of humanity placed on the back of Jesus and the penalty for that sin placed on Jesus and God turns his back on his own son. Jesus took our judgment for us. So when you believe in Jesus, your sins essentially are being appropriated to him. He is paid for them. So you'll never have to pay for them yourself. There's no condemnation. You, like, you remember the things. You don't forget. You know the things that you did before you became a follower of Jesus that violated the ways of God. You know the things you struggled with as a follower of Jesus that violated the standard of God. And you'll never, ever be condemned for those things because you are in Christ. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? No condemnation. Another passage in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. So not only is there no condemnation, you have a perfect legal standing with God, but also because you're in Christ, a transformation begins. God begins to make you into a new creation. There's a new work that God's going to do in your life. It, in, then in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul put it like this, 2.10, he said that uh, that we are created in Christ Jesus, or in Christ, created in Him, for good works that God has foreordained for us to walk in. So you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're placed in Christ. There's no judgment for your sin. You're placed in Christ. You're a new creation. God's doing a new work in your life. He's transforming you. And then God puts you on a new road in life so that you can accomplish the things that God put you on this planet to accomplish. You find true meaning and purpose in life in a relationship with Jesus because God created you with purpose. It's this wonderful thing. I'm in Christ. And can I suggest to you that the union you have, the moment you put your faith in, in Jesus Christ, is an unbreakable union. It's unbreakable. John chapter 10, 
Verses 28 and 29. Who has that one for us? All right. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see what Jesus says? He says, listen, you're in my hand, and no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. And he says, and you're in my Father's hand, and no one is going to snatch you out of my Father's hand. Okay. Do you think you're pretty secure if you're in the hand of the Father and the Son? <laughs> so my kids are all grown now, and, and they made it. Like they survived. Like they all wear t-shirts. I survived too. And, and uh, you know, it's like they, they made it. And, and there were times when they were little. One of, the, one of the scariest places, if you are a parent of small children, is parking lots. Parking lots are dangerous. Kids aren't paying attention. Drivers aren't paying attention. And so when the kids would get out of the car, when they were little, I'd say, touch the car. Like, like oh, no, it's a dad. And so my kids were like this, you know? <laughs> 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 and I come out, and then it's, and grab me. It's like, I'm, like, we're going to walk through the parking lot. And I'm not, their livelihood, their, their safety is not being entrusted into the hands of a four-year-old and his ability to grip my hand. They're being entrusted the fact that there's no way I'm going to let go of you. And you start to pull, I'm going to squeeze till you bleed. Like, it's, I'm not going to let go. And the idea says, listen, you're in the hands of God. You were placed in Christ. And so when the Bible talks about abiding in Jesus, the Bible says, listen, because you put your faith in Christ, you are in a union with Christ that is unbreakable. But listen, the New Testament doctrine of abiding has a second aspect to it. In addition to union, it also speaks of something we might call communion or fellowship. So in John chapter 15, Jesus gives a parable. Um, this is just free information. So later, when you, if you ever make it on Jeopardy and have questions about the Bible, you can on Listen, John doesn't use the word parable. Matthew, Mark, and Luke they don't trust their readers very much. So every time they come to a parable, they say, and Jesus told them a parable, because they don't believe you're smart enough to figure out that it was a parable. But John is a little older, a little wiser, and he believes you can figure it out. So he just lets Jesus tell parables without telling you he's telling the parable, okay? And one of the most famous parables Jesus told is in John 15. And John said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches, is the vine dresser, and he talks about those that are abiding in him are going to bear fruit. The purpose of this parable, the main teaching of this parable, is that he's saying real life, fruitful life, experiencing the life that God intends for us is found in being connected to Jesus. Okay, so he's talking about the union that we have with Christ. But in it, he gives a command, okay? And the command says, it's John 15, 4, if you're interested, he says this, abide in me. It's a command. So he said, like, you go, wait a minute, Jesus, I already am. There's no condemnation because I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation because I'm in Christ. There's a whole new set of works, a whole plan for my life to get to walk in because I'm in Christ. And then Jesus says, yeah, but you need to abide in me. Because you have this union, you need to focus on on fellowshipping with him. The idea, guys, is that when you became a follower of Jesus, it's not just that your sins were forgiven and your eternal life was settled. In addition to that, we began a relationship with a risen Savior. You know, in the, in, in the book of Acts, you know how often they're talking about Jesus being alive from the dead, being risen from the dead? It's not just good doctrine. It's not just, it's not just like the completion of the story. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. It's they're, they're telling people, these are apostles, guys that have face-to-face -face interaction with Jesus. They're telling people, listen, Jesus is alive from the dead, and you can have a living relationship with him. In 1 John, John puts it like this. He says, that which we have seen and which we have heard in which our, our hands have handled concerning the life. He says, we declare him to you so that you might have fellowship with us and our fellowships with him. Because we say, 
There was a time when I used to walk with Jesus. I was able to look into his eyes. I was able to hear his voice. I was able to put my head in his lap. He says, and listen, you can have a relationship with Jesus like that. Jesus is alive from the dead. And so to dwell in the secret place is to have the, the is to take the union that you have with Jesus and take advantage of it and actually set aside time to fellowship with Christ. A couple more things. Number one, the word abide is a word that means that another um, uh, sort of synonymous term for the word abide would be the phrase live in. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to make a lifestyle of taking whatever's going on in my life and taking it to Jesus and pouring it out before him and letting him pour it in my life. So I make it a lifestyle. It's not just something that I do when the arrows start to fly. It's not just something I do when the storm starts to rise. It's not just something I do when, when I'm facing a trial in life. But I make it a lifestyle saying, you know what, I'm taking my life and I'm spending time with Jesus. The word abide is a word that also means to remain or to endure. And so the idea is that not only do I make it a lifestyle, but it becomes a priority that nothing gets in the way of. I was, you know, I, just, I only had a few moments this morning um, uh, as I, before we had to take off, but I was listening to my son, Nate. Um, he was teaching at the young adult retreat they're having, and, uh, and he was talking about the priority of resting in the Lord. And he said, you notice how when you get busy, it seems to be the most important things are the things that go first. Right? We get busy. We get over busy. And the most important things are the things that go first. So it's like, oh, I'm just so tired. I, I just, I can't, I can't do so. We, we push news a few more times and we skip spending time with the Lord before our day starts. And so our busyness just took away the most important thing that we're going to do all day long. It's just how life is, right? We, to abide in Christ, we need to understand this word means to endure. It means I can't let anything steal this time of the Lord. It's the priority. The word abide also carries the idea of waiting. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you, this is not a trick question. It means to wait and also to await. Okay? Wait and await. There's a little nuance, difference between waiting and awaiting. Right? A little a nuance that's different between waiting and awaiting. What is it? What's the difference between waiting and awaiting? When you're awaiting, what's that? You're, there's, right, there's an expectation, right? If you're awaiting something, there's actually an expectation that it's going to happen, right? You're, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, maybe, well, you can wait forever. Okay? There's an awaiting when there's a promise given. There's an expectation. It's actually going to happen. The idea of abiding in Christ is not is the idea of I'm going to come into his presence with whatever's going on in my life, and I'm going to pour it out before him, and there is an expectation that God is going to speak into my life. That expectation comes from the promises of God. Right? So it's like, I'm confused. I just don't know what to do. There's just so much going on, and I just can't figure it out. Are there any promises that God might give us answers when we're confused? Doesn't the Bible tell us that if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God and give it to us? And that he gives it to us liberally? There's no reproach. There's no, there's no shadow turning with God. He's going to pour out direction in my life. So, so I can come to him in those seasons and I go, listen, there's an expectation. I know, God, that you want to speak to me. One last thought before we get to the results in the psalm and wrap it up. And that is this. That waiting upon the Lord is, is an important part of our relationship with the Lord. And I think waiting upon the Lord has three parts to it. Part number one is casting our cares before the Lord. Peter used that phrase. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So one part of waiting upon the Lord is to, see, is to know, like, there's a place that I'm going to go when things get difficult or confusing in my life, and that place is the presence of the Lord. Push pause. 
Is that always where we go when things become challenging? Is the Lord always the one that we cast our cares on? It's not always, right? I mean, I think social media exists as a platform for which people can cast their cares, right? They go on and they complain. I just bark, all these things. It's like, you know, I'm pretty sure Zuckerberg's not gonna help you. <laughs> You're casting your care. Like, like there's, it's, it's, it might be a place of refuge. There's a lot of places people go for refuge. They're not all created equal, are they? There's a dwelling place with God, a place where we can go and I can say, I'm gonna cast whatever's going on in my life, good, bad, confusing, challenging, hurtful, whatever it is, and I can cast that. Waiting upon the Lord is pouring out what's going on in my life into the presence of God knowing that he cares. Number two, waiting upon the Lord is learning to listen. Learning to listen. God wants to speak into your life. Now what I found with the Lord is that um, he often speaks correction into my life. Like often when I come into the presence of the Lord, and I pour out my complaint to the Lord, he lets me complain, and then he corrects my thinking. Yeah, there's a correction aspect of it. Zach and I were talking, I was talking about my oldest son, and, and uh, so my oldest son, when he was about uh, 14 years old, is when he really embraced, like, he wanted to be a professional server. That's what he wanted to do with his life. And my backstory, um, when, before I became a Christian, I grew up in Southern California on the beach, so kind of by default you serve. And, and so that had been my whole backstory. So he chose something that his dad actually knew something about. So we'd go down to contests, and he'd serve, and my, his mom was there, his brothers was there, his grandma and grandma would come, and at some, unless you win the whole event, at some point you lose. That make sense? Right? So at some point, you're, and so at some point, unless you win the whole thing, you're mad. And so he would come in, and grandma comes up, and mom comes up, and his brothers come up, and they're all, oh, you know, and, and uh, his grandma would say, and he hated it, she would say, sorry you lost, but you were the cutest one out there. <laughs> that's, what he, that's what a 16-year-old wants to hear. And uh, so, so I'd let him do the whole thing, and then we'd get in the car, and, uh, and we'd start to drive off, and I'd look at him, and I'd say, do you want to talk to coach, or do you want to talk to dad? Right? It's two different people. If you want to talk to dad, I'm going to say, man, I'm proud of you, buddy. Awesome, you did a great job out there. I couldn't be more proud of you. But if you want to talk to coach, you're going to get corrected. Right? And 100 times out of 100, he picked coach. Right? He wants to, he, I don't want to be in the same place that I was before I sat down in this car. I want to improve. Does that make sense? So listen, when we go, when we go into the secret place, expect to speak to both dad and coach. Right? Expect that. I'm going to come up for the Lord. God, this is so hard. And God's going to go, here, come under my shadow of my wings. Right? <laughs> come here. Let me cuddle you for a minute. Right? God's going to do that. He's a comforter. But listen, he's also a coach. Right? Expect correction. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to use this story. Uh, and it's a long time ago. And it's not because I don't want you to think that I have newer stories. Okay? But it's the first time I can ever remember happening. I was, this was, this was right after I started walking with the Lord. So this is 1986, maybe, maybe 85. And, uh, and I was facing this thing, and I wasn't sure what to do. Brand new, I started walking with the Lord. And uh, I was with this friend of mine, and he was brand new, started walking with the Lord. And he and I went to a movie together. Went to see a Rambo movie. And so, I you. And, uh, and so we're in the, and you know the, they're all this, you know, hardcore, in your face, loud music, blow stuff up, you know, that kind of thing. And I, we came out of the movie, and we're in the parking lot, and we're talking about this decision I had to make. And I'm like, I'm going to go for it. He's going, go for it. We're all like juiced up on Rambo. And I'm all pumped up, and I made my decision. And I went home, and I, I laid down on my bed. And it's dark, and I just start kind of laying there talking to the Lord. And I'm oh, fired up on that boat. And uh, I'm going to do this. And the Lord goes, oh, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the worst thing you could ever do. <laughs> and the Lord started speaking to me. That's the dumbest decision you could ever make, right? And I go to the secret place, and the Lord corrects my thinking. So one of the things I think we should expect, like when we go into the presence of the Lord, it's often 
challenges that stir up our emotion, and that's what drive us into the secret place. But listen, we go there to get fixed. Can I encourage you, you don't want your emotions to leave your life. Emotions, God gave us emotions, correct? Emotions make life better, correct? Okay, but emotions are like seasoning. Right? Like the whoever made the hot sauce that went on tonight's dinner. I, I want to, you know, not in some sort of weird way, but I just want to. <laughs> there's true honor that's given. Like that was a that was a beautiful thing. And the the piece that was put in front of me, honestly, that's like the, that is the food that I would eat every day of my entire life. Like rice with meat and vegetables, and then the French fries together at crunch. I was like genius. Like, <laughs> and I don't think the French should get the credit for frying the potatoes. I think the South Americans did it centuries before. So, but you get the idea. So, and then and I got, and then it's like squirting that hot sauce on the top. It's like, oh my gosh, it took it to the next level. Does that make sense? But to understand, hot sauce is a seasoning, right? You didn't go and just get a straw. Huh? <laughs> like hot sauce is a seasoning. It's supposed to enhance the main course, right? It's not supposed to be consumed on its own. And the same way with emotions. Emotions were never given to us by God to drive or govern or lead our lives. They're given to enhance life. They make life better. Life's way better with emotions, right? And so, but what happens is our emotions drive us to the secret place, and we should expect God here and those people that are just such idiots and I can't believe they behave. Well, this is the those people are so kind and wonderful. <laughs> you know, and you're there and you're just dumping this thing out and, Lord, I think you should rip their heads off. And what's that verse about breaking their teeth in their mouth? Do that. I was just pouring it out. And then we should expect God's going to say, okay, are you done yet? Like, now I want to speak correction into your life. I don't want you thinking like that. That's not how you're going to move forward. God corrects us. He speaks into our life. So the secret place we go there and we go there to be corrected. And then lastly, waiting upon the Lord, not only do I cast my cares and learn to listen, but then I also expect that I'm going to now live out what God tells me to do. Right? I'm going to expect, okay, God, you're going to tell me to do something. And whatever you tell me to do, God, I know you're going to empower me to do it. So I'm going to leave here doing what you told me to do. What will our life be like if we made the secret place a daily dwelling? We just said, every, whatever's going on in my life, good things, bad things, confusing things, whatever, I just said, Lord, here's what's going on in my life. I'm just going to pour it out before you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here, and I'm going to expect that your grace is going to provide comfort for me in what I'm going through, and direction for me, and correction to me. And then, Lord, I'm going to walk out here determined to do not what I thought I was going to do when I came in, but what you told me to do from your word. Last thing, back here in Psalm 91. Let's just look briefly at the results of applying the solution to the situation. The situation is he's facing super challenging things. The solution is he's going to abide or dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And the results, look at what he says. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of who? So I, I think one thing we could say is that there is there's care for us as a result. The shadow of the Almighty. The, the idea is that all that God is is made available to us. His care and his resources. Um, we don't have time for a story, so I'm going to tell you one anyway. <laughs> um, years ago, uh, it was my, I think it was my second ever mission trip. I was in the, the north of England, and um, I'm not a musician. But I was traveling with the youth pastor and his band, and they had set up all these concerts in the schools and, uh, and, and then also other sites. And the, the band would play, the pastor would preach the gospel, and we were there kind of as roadies, and then we'd also sit in the stands, and, or the, the seats, and they'd get an altar call, and after the altar call, we would just turn to whoever didn't get up and say, hey, what do you think about what they had to say? And we'd get to minister to people. It was a wonderful time. Great way to learn ministry. And so we're, we're driving. We got this caravan of a bunch of uh, like, like minivans. 
and a big truck with all the musical equipment and stuff in it, and we're driving around, and we're all driving on the wrong side of the road. Okay, okay. Um, it's a, it, by the way, it's a it's a fact that the British drive on the wrong side of the road. It's not, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. Here's how we know it. We drive on which side of the road? Right. Yeah. And what is the opposite of right? Wrong. Wow. Okay, so they're driving on the wrong side. <laughs> and so like we're all confused. And we're driving this caravan. We get lost. So we come to this roundabout. And the, the, one, the, the vans go. And then the truck, so as not to get lost, they pull in front of this car to stay in the caravan. And this guy's driving this really fancy BMW. And he loses his mind. Okay? He's freaking out. He's screaming out his window, and he, he, he races up, pulls in front of the truck, and slams on his brake. Like, it's crazy road rage before it was popular. And so <laughs> he pulls over the side of the road, and he's just freaking out, and the guy gets out of his car, out of the truck, his name's Mike, and, uh, and Mike's standing, and the guy's yelling at him, and then Richard, who's the pastor, comes up, and Richard's like, he's pretty feisty, but he's 5'6". Okay, so, so Richard comes out and Richard's going, Richard's going, get back in your car. We're tourists. We don't know what we're doing. Just get back in your car. And he's, he's yelling at the guy, and, and the guy's just belligerent, cussing him out. And then all of a sudden, the guy's eyes just get really big. His mouth shuts, and he just turns around and starts walking towards his car. And, and Richard's like, that's right. <laughs> what he doesn't realize is Bill just walked out. Bill's like six foot four. Bill had a black, all black trench coat on. He had boots with like he looks like a full crazy punk rocker. This is this is like 1987. Okay, this guy's like big and scary looking. And what happened is, is Richard's there, like yelling. <laughs> <laughs> so so all of a sudden, Bill comes up behind him, and listen, Richard is under the shadow. <laughs> all that Bill is is now encompassing Richard as he's standing there. And this guy goes, <laughs> and Richard turns around and he goes, Did you get the idea? So, what does it mean to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty? It's like, his kidney's pretension is ours. That's the result. Like, I, Lord, I'm so afraid of what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. And I go into the secret place and it's like, not only is it that he, the second thing he says, he says that there is refuge and there's deliverance. So what is the result of going to the secret place? Not only the care from God, but a rescue and a deliverance. You're not going to be in the state forever. You're going to come out of the state. There's a great passage in Philippians where Paul is in prison, chained to a guard, and uh, and. He says to the Philippians, he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I know I'm going to be taken care of. These chains aren't what's going to hold me, but the Lord is going to set me free. The last thing that I want you to see is, is not only does he, does he promise to deliver, does he promise to provide his care, but there's this great verse, and it's one that was quoted to Jesus, um, incorrectly. Look at verse 11. He says, He shall give his what? Angels. What, what will he give his angels? Charge. Charge concerning you. Charge. Now, a command is when you're told to do something, correct? There's a difference between a charge and a command. A command, you're just told to do something. A charge, you're given the authority to do that. He's saying, listen, he's given his angels an authoritative command to care for you. That's awesome. Okay. I, I, I had somebody, uh, Hebrews 12, 22. Okay. You made the cut? Hebrews <laughs> um, 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. To an innumerable company of angels. The, the word there is is the word we get our, our word myriad from. And it literally, the word literally means and an amount that cannot be numbered. Basically, like all of the hosts of heaven's armies have been given a charge, and that charge is concerning you. Like, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And he, he goes on to say this, like what he says in verse uh, 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the 
the program. That's what traveling on your feet. Okay? Let me tell you, I've never had an encounter with a lion. Okay? Never had an encounter with a lion. I've many times in my life come face to face with snakes. I can tell you on every occasion, when I see a snake, I go the other way. Every time, 100 times out of one, I, I think they're creepy. I'm not like, I don't have a phobia of them. It's just, why would I want them to be near me? Okay? But I, I've had, like, I've been in places I was, you know, like, super remote place, and come around the corner, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a cobra on the ground. And I go, oh, neat! Okay? <laughs> and I go the opposite direction. And I do use a nail. But the idea here is, but it's, it's like, he's using, again, figurative language to speak about this, this difficult. I say, you're going to have victory over this. God is going to give charge to the enemies, and you're going to be victorious over what you're facing. Those are great promises, aren't they? So listen, where should we be dwelling? Where should we be dwelling? Should we make that, like, that should, this should be something habitual for us. It should be something that's like, listen, you know, you guys are young, and you've got your life in front of you, and this is a this is a passage of scripture that is speaking to us about something that can be habitual for us. It's like listening my whole life. What I'm going to do? I'm going to have a secret place. I'm going to go to God with whatever's going on in my life. I'm going to pour out, and I'm going to expect that from His grace, He's going to minister to me, and from His word, He's going to direct me, and I'm going to be able to go out and face it because God's going to commission all of us to heaven in order to accomplish in my life what God wants to accomplish. I think that's. Pretty 